There are two scriptures today. Please bear with me as I flip between. The first is 2 Kings 24, 11 to 13. And Nebuchadnezzar himself came to the city while his officers were besieging it. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his attendants, his nobles, and his officials all surrendered to him. In the eighth year of the reign of the king of Babylon, he took Jehoiakim prisoner. As the Lord had declared, Nebuchadnezzar removed all the treasures from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and took away all of the gold articles that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of the Lord. The second reading is Ezra 1.7. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. The uh, military really um, helped me out, exposed me to different religions, different kind of worship services, and one that I got to be a part of was when they got ready to do the offering. And they did the doxology. I had no idea what was going on. The people stood up. The dude started walking up. They get the plates. They sing a song. And then they gave God praise. And I thought, what reverence for God. For the gifts that he's given to his people. That you would stand and honor him in such a manner. As to uh, pray over those gifts. And be so formal in honoring God and what he's done for you. And so I just want to say thank you for letting me be a part of it. Uh, that would never work in a Pentecostal church, I can tell you. But uh, that was, it just gave me chills to be a part of that. So thank you. I suspect that every generation receives and administers discipline in its own special way. Um, son, you know i got to whip you. Go get that limb over there and make sure it's a decent size. Because if I have to go get the limb, you ain't going to like what I'm going to do to you. Because, you know, I'm going to pick a limb like that. You're going to whip me. There you go, brother. But nope. Got to pick a good limb because I don't want to have to go get it. Or go get that switch off the willow tree. Most of you might have been whipped with the willow switch. It wraps around your leg real good. Go get that off the tree. Put your nose in the corner. Just go put your nose in the corner for a while. Think about what you've done and how things are going. Well, today's parenting kind of cracks me up. And I was thinking about it, just like my mom probably got cracked up to the way we disciplined our kids. And so when me and Amy are out shopping or we're going antiquing or wherever we're going, I hear this phrase, um, you're going to go to time out. This is the word that comes up a lot. Time out for you. And it don't matter how old the baby is. It could have just been born a week old. It could be four years old. If the baby's done wrong, the baby's going to time out. Well, earlier in July, me and my wife was with the, uh, my son, his daughter, and the grandbaby, and we were out there hanging out at the pool, so to speak, and I heard this very capable mom put six kids into timeout. Now, she's in the middle of the pool. Two of the kids go on this side of us and sit up on the side, and two of the kids go over here and sit on the side, and there's two who really weren't necessarily in timeout, but they were close enough to the mom to let her know that they loved her and they appreciated all she's done, but farther away from the mom that when they were doing wrong, the mom couldn't see him because she was focused on the other. So they, they was in the gray pretty good, in my opinion. 
So the two down here are crying, wondering what's going on, and the two over here has the audacity to ask mom what we done wrong. And here comes the crimes. You little criminals, you know you did this, you did that, and you did that. And the kids are looking down, and the mom says, so bad was your crimes, I'm going to come over and remove the object that caused you to do such a bad thing. So the mom comes, removes the object, she goes back to the middle of the pool, she looks at the kids and says, now, uh, you guys think about that for a while while you're in timeout. She was solid, she knew they was criminals, she put them in jail and she let them sit. Well, the grandmother wasn't having none of this. She comes up out of her chair, walks through the middle of the water, looks at the mother and says, what gives? Why such harsh punishment on my grandkids? And that was a huge mistake because now the mom gives a litany of the crimes committed by the children. So the grandmother just turns right back out of the pool and she goes back and she takes her seat. I was totally amazed at the control and the leadership of this mom that I thought about going in timeout because I probably was wrong just watching the discipline she was administering to the kids. So this morning I'm going to preface everything I'm saying by the words timeout. God's timeout for the children of Israel was to take a ruthless king, King Nebuchadnezzar, to plunder their land, take all the vessels out of their holy place, tear them up, and return them to the place of his God. And then he scattered the people all over the place. He took the ones who were educated and trained to be in his court so that they could not rebel and move against him. He took everything away from them and made them slaves. But then when God decided to release his children from timeout, he used another king, King Cyrus, to free the people. He went into the house of the false god, took all the items out of the house, gave it to the children of Israel, says, now you go home and you worship God, and here's all the vessels that this ruthless king took from you that I'm going to give back. He says, go home and worship your God. Some of the items used in this worship when the temple was rebuilt were the following. And we have a picture up here for you. The altar, the very first thing you see uh, on the very end was the place of repentance, sacrifice, thanksgiving. The bronze basin stood between the altar and the holy place. The priest was required to wash hands and feet before offering sacrifices and entering the holy place after making sacrifice for the people. The golden candlestick provided light for the priest to do the work since all natural light was shut out because of the covering over the holy place. Now, in that holy place, it wouldn't have been like that. There would have been all kinds of skins and stuff over it, so those guys couldn't see nothing. So they had to have some light, and this is what the uh, golden candlestick done. But it also signified the presence of God with his people. There was a table of showbread, provided food for the priest as he ministered in God's presence. Twelve loaves were placed every Sabbath day, and the other loaves were eaten by the priest and the high priest in the holy place. The showbread signified thankfulness for God's provision and the joy of fellowship at the table with him. The altar of incense provided a sweet aroma so that the stench of all the sacrifices would not reach the presence of God. Now, every day people was bringing in, you know, birds and goats and all kinds of animals to be sacrificed. And there's blood everywhere. Things are going everywhere. It had to be a nasty sight. But this incense came into the uh, tabernacle, and it never entered the presence of God. Kind of like my sin. It's nasty and disgusting, but that blood, that prayer of Jesus, the work of Jesus, kind of blocks all that. 
So the altar of incense, it, it won't reach the presence of God. The incense signifies constant prayer of the priest for his people interceding on behalf of them. Then there was the most holy place. Now this is the very back there, separated the holy from the most holy. That was the presence of God. The most holy place was the very presence of God. The high priest could enter only one time a year on the Day of Atonement. After making sacrifices outside, he sheds his outer garments designed with 12 gemstones representing the tribes of Israel. You see a picture of him right here. And he's got his altar, he's got his little incense down there praying for the people. He brings incense to the altar of incense, sprinkles blood on the Ark of the Covenant on behalf of himself and the nation. He emerges and sends another goat called a scapegoat into the desert, symbolically bearing the sins of the nation. The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant held the tablets of the law, Aaron's rod that budded, and a pot of manna. The contents of the ark showed God's desire to teach, provide, and dwell among his people. There was a mercy seat placed above the ark with two cherubim facing each other, looking down with their wings, pointing in toward the area representing the very presence of God. Now you can't see that there, but that's in the very back where that light's come up. The cherubim are like this, pointing to the presence of God. All these items were essential in the worship of the children of Israel. The importance of these items is fulfilled in the ministry and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's mostly highlighted in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is filled with those kinds of uh, symbolism and things like that. This morning, I want to focus on three items that I believe you as a church are living out right now. I see three things in a tabernacle that I see in the life of this congregation that you're living out to fulfill the call of God on your life. First, the bronze basin. That would be the second item. The bronze base, basin stands for sanctification or being set apart for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, it says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And since God has set you apart as an individual, since he has set you apart as a church, he wants you to serve him. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If we're set apart and we're sanctified, if we're called to serve him, how are we supposed to serve him? 1 Corinthians 6, 19, in the spirit of holiness. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. Well, how are you going to know what to do? If we're set apart, we're called to serve, we're to live holy. Who defines holiness? The Word. We are clean through the Word. John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Second article, the golden candlestick. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
the altar of incense, the third item. We are the intercessors. Who are we to intercede for? Everyone. 1 Timothy 2 and 1. I exhort, therefore, first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men everywhere. Who specifically? For leaders and those in authority. 1 Timothy 2, 2 and 4. For kings. For all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. To pray for leaders and kings and those who are in authority. Now I'm about to say something that's probably going to get me in trouble. That's okay, I think. But when Trump was president... I saw on TV all the time all the men and women of God around him praying and thanking God for what God has done for our marvelous country. And the churches were happy and excited. Everybody's lifting up hands and praising God for this man. When President Biden came into office, I don't see no leaders around him. Maybe he don't want America. I don't know. I don't see nobody putting on Facebook that I'm praying for our president. I'm lifting him up in prayer. No, what I see, people mocking and making fun of. I don't care how he got into office. It ain't my call. My call is to pray for whoever the leader is, whoever the king is. That's what God's called me to do. That's what he's called you to do. We are to pray for our leaders and those in authority. Ask God to touch them. Ask God to move them. Ask God to watch over them, protect them, and lead them in a right direction. Not mock and make fun of. It hurts my heart when I'm at work to see people do that. Who are all, now, these guys are all political. I don't find no joy in that. I am to pray for my leaders and those in authority. You think when Jesus told the disciples to love your enemies, and then they had to go out and say, hey, I know you're going to cut my head out. You're going to take my head right off and kill me, kill my family, but I'm supposed to love you and pray for you? When Paul went before the kings, he knew what they was going to do, but he loved them. He loved Christ. He knew what Christ was asking him to do. So he says, pray for him. Pray for all leaders and those in authority. And don't have a bitter heart when you do it. God will take care of the mess. We have to take care of the praying. Pray for leaders and those in authority. We are to pray for our enemies. Matthew 5, 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And persecute you. We are to pray for our enemies. Then we're praying for the people of God. Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. We are to pray for everybody. In general. For those in leadership. For those we don't like and who don't like us. And for one another. Paul was talking here specifically about him going on a trip to do the work of the ministry. And he said, pray for me. I'm in dire straits. Pray for me. So in what way do I believe that you are serving, being a light, and praying for everyone? I've not met with all your commissions. I don't necessarily understand all the commissions, committees, and all that. But I believe it's through the commissions that you are serving being a light, and praying for everyone. And I take this as to when I talk to some of where you're at on your particular commission. Number one, through the worship and music commission. 
preparing every aspect of service to bring God's people into his very presence. You have a very important job. We go to work. All of us go to work every week. We might have a good week. We might have a real bad week. We might be getting along with the family. We might not get along with them at all. We come to the house of God, I think, for some kind of peace. For one hour, I want peace. I want contentment. For one hour, I want God to touch my heart. I don't want to fight. I don't want to battle. I want to come into the house of God for him to touch me and to help me. That's done through the worship committee. You have a big role. You have a big responsibility. We read it before when they got ready to go home, the children of Israel, they took 200 singers with them to praise and worship on the journey. David had a cadre of people around him to worship. Worship was vital to the people of Israel. It's vital to us today. All of this is a part of worship and what we do and who we are. You have a huge responsibility commission and you're living it out and you're doing the work and you're doing what needed to build up the body of Christ in the church. Secondly, through the deacon committee, you care for the spiritual, physical, social well-being of the congregation, visitation, prayer chain, the flock roster, all these things you do. I got on the prayer chain roster, and first thing I got a text, pray for these people. Then I got a phone call. It's like a 1877 number. Well, as soon as I seen it pop up, I deleted it because I figure I don't know who you are. Well, it went to my voicemail. And this, you need to listen to this. This is very important from the church. I said, oh, man. I didn't know. I've never been on nothing like that. Boom. Here comes a message over the phone. Pray for these people. It comes by way of text. It comes through the phone that we need to pray for these people. That's doing the work of the ministry. When the deacons go and visit. And they sit with people and take time and talk to people and listen to people. That's worship. That's a part of ministry. Visitation, when you're praying, when you're visiting those who's been out of church, when you're sending a card, when you're picking people up, when you're ministering to people, that is a part of worship. And the deacons rock. The deacons are getting it done. They're doing the work. That's the work of God. That's how the kingdom grows. That's how the church grows because you're doing the work. We need worship. We need deacons. That's all a part of worship. Third, through the Witness and Nurture Commission, reaching out to the community. How do we reach lost people? They talk about it. They pray about it. We want to make a difference in somebody's life outside the walls of these buildings. We want to reach the people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? What do we use to do that? And how can we be effective? They also do it by helping the congregation and the nurture part of it. When we did the outside picnic, that we need to be together. We need to be as one. We need to function and flow as one. The Witness and Nurture Commission, they get this done. And by this way, they're serving and being a light and praying for everyone. You have a huge responsibility to help win the loss and help keep the congregation together. Through the Stewards Commission... Maintain the beauty of God's house for his glory so that all can come and worship him. Now, this tradition is not like any tradition I've ever been a part of. 
and I think I have it right, I could have it wrong. But apparently, you just give money in the offering, and the stewards divvy the money up. Am I right? Yep. Huge responsibility I would not want. <laughs> in your hands is the monies of God. How you use and spread those monies out that will affect the blessing or non-blessing of our Creator. We've given our part. We give our tithe or offering or whatever it is. But in your hands, you hold the very heart of God of how that money's used for His glory and for His honor. A huge responsibility. You take care of all the things inside the building of the church and all the grounds outside the church. You take care of these things. You look over them. You watch over them. You lift up. You move things around. This is all part of worship. This is all worship of God. When the Bibles look good in the pews, when there's nothing laying on the ground, when it looks nice and clean out here, when it looks nice outside, that's part of worship, and you stewards are getting it done. And you're probably penny pinchers. You're dealing with money. I imagine you say no a lot. You say yes, blessed, and you say no, but you do say yes. But God's given you that responsibility, and it's a huge responsibility on your hands to use the monies and things that God has given us for his glory and his honor. The people built this church on hard work and sacrifice, and now it lays in our hands to take care of what they built. That is a huge responsibility, and all that is a part of worship. Through the board. The board, I gather, in my opinion, you hold everything together. You represent all the commissions, and you represent the heart of the congregation. That is in your heart to do that. You have to bring all these pieces together. And you have to make all these pieces move as one. And you have to do it because you are the heart of the congregation. The congregation speaks. This is what God has led on our heart to do. He has called us to do this. You represent that. And you spread that out through all the commissions. You have a huge responsibility. All of this, everything you do is a part of worship. It's not just functioning we go and do. It's worship to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and it pleases him. Within these commissions is men and women sacrificing time, talent, treasure for the glory of God. Why? I will go back to this over and over and over and over again. Because of what he has done for you. My gosh, if he's saved your soul, if he's changed your life, if he's turned you around, don't you want to serve him? Don't you want to say, what can I do for your glory? What can I do for your honor? How can I build up the kingdom of God? This is all a part of worship. Not only the commissions, but people who attend the church who've made this church their home. They worship the Lord. They come and they give, and they do what they need to do for the kingdom of God. All of us are doing this as a part of worship to God. Those on staff, I happen to get paid, but it wouldn't matter if I did or didn't. I want to honor him, but I have a huge responsibility. God has given me an opportunity to take care of the souls of his holy people. And it's important how I build upon that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, when a man builds, he better watch how he builds. If he builds on a bad foundation, it's all going to be runt. 
But if he builds on a good foundation, it's going to grow and move. This church, this congregation was built upon a very healthy foundation. You're here, you're moving, and you're thriving. But I have to watch over and pray for your soul, and I have to give an account for that. How I understand the word, how I read the word, how I teach the word, how I live, who I am, and how I represent you. I might got myself in a pickle because on judgment day, I'm going to have a hard enough time answering for myself, my own stuff. Now i got to answer for I have dealt with his people that he's blessed me with to serve. That's a huge responsibility. All of this is part of worship. I just want to say one other thing when you're doing the work. I would hope you see yourself as a kingdom person. And what I mean by that is, when you go to the nursing home, or when you go help somebody in the church, or when you go visit somebody out of church, or you're praying for somebody, or you're leading worship, no matter what you're doing, I hope you see it as a kingdom thing. For example, you go visit somebody. Their family members come around, hey, so-and-so visited me today. So, why would they do that? They're believers. They've accepted Christ. Maybe that person hears that person say, and maybe they go to another church, and that church grows. I don't care. That's kingdom work. If somebody gets saved, it don't matter to me where they go to the church at. If they get saved and accept Christ as Savior, good for them, good for that church. God bless you, God bless the pastor, and God bless the kingdom of God. We are kingdom workers for His glory and for His honor. When our kids get saved, if they're going to church, praise God. If they love the preacher, praise God. It's nothing against you or me. It's where God has put them and give him the glory. As we're doing the work in love, as we're following him, as we're serving him, as we're kingdom people, he will bless the church. That's his job, to bless the church. My job is to do the work of the church. But you are brethren. You're the West Alexandria Church's brethren. So this is the prism. This is the framework you work through to be a kingdom person. This is how you understand the word of God. This is how you want to minister to people. And you ask God. And you see, God, God, is this where you want us at? We want to do your will. We want to follow you. And we want to be kingdom people. And we believe this is the way you're moving and touching us. So you do it through the eyes of the church and the brethren. And that's cool. Other guys do it through Baptist. Other guys do it through Pentecostal. What does it matter? If the kingdom of God is being extended all over the world, let God do his work. Let us be grateful for what we have here. And let us take care of our own. This church, this congregation is a living, breathing, and mobile tabernacle for the glory of God. You work for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not just in the building for one hour, but everywhere you go, you're a tabernacle for the Lord. He wants to use you for his glory and for his honor. Let's be the tabernacle of God. Let's do his work. So be encouraged this morning, West Alexandria Church's brethren. The Bible says that God is on your side. If God be for us, who can be against us? Nobody. The blood was shed. The blood was poured. Forgiveness was given. We're here because we're thankful. Let's continue to do the work of the Lord, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords.
and let him do what he wants to do. You keep doing what you're supposed to do and watch God bless it and watch God grow it because that's what he does. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church and I thank you for the members of this church, Lord. Everyone is doing their very best to serve you, to honor you, and to follow you. Lord, to be a light into a world. We love you. We appreciate all you've done on the work of the cross, God. We ask you to watch over us, Lord, to protect us. And if our heart is closed to you, if we put ourselves before you, Lord, turn us around that we follow you first, that we love you first, and that we see there's such great joy and seeing people turn to the true and the living God. So many people are lost and undone without Jesus Christ. Help us continue to be that light, just like our forefathers were, Lord. We ask you now to touch our hearts, God. Touch our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.